This is the field machination log for August 13th, 2016. Got Lou Wiedemann off in the distance being angry at power tools. Gas-powered gas powered, uh, power tools not working today. And we got Nicole, uh, who was too busy to uh, be bothered to come in, so I decided to bring the podcast to her. I figured you needed your daily dose of vitamin D so we can stand out in this brutal heat. Yeah, that too. No, that's the problem with the, have, that's the problem with the field mic situation. You could have all the minerals leached from your body. It's probably like pleasant in most other states to do this stuff outside, but not in Florida. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> Lou, it's what the hell's better. going on? Not much better up north, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's, I mean, Connecticut is like this in the summer. It's just a shorter duration. And then it kicks you in the ass with snow. Yeah, no, so, that's the... <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's still better down here than many other places. What the hell's going on here? Lots. Yeah, lots. You guys... We, we inherited animals from a deceased friend of ours, so we have to deal with that. And now we're trying to make accommodation for said animals. And then we're also trying to, you know, uh, downsize our own collection so that it's a much more manageable uh, yes. enterprise, as it yes. were. We are trying to take the animal business from a professional back down to an amateur level. Excellent. Um, because it's way too time-consuming as a professional endeavor and it's interfering with our ability to venture out into new or revisit old hobbies. I mean, I guess that sucks in one way, but I guess more than anything, it seems like it would be a daunting task to move back down. Like, escalating is always relatively intuitive. You just, you get more stuff. Yes. And you just, you like, you just, do you have any idea what the shear is gonna be? Have you like Well, we've picked? already started. So we've done a lot already. Um, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 geckos we've gotten rid of. Yeah. And and the, the rule is, see, we don't have too much of a problem with the incoming if we just st stop taking in the wild cocks. So the imports that come in that we normally, like, use to, to buffer our business, as it were, like to pay for the food bill and all of that other stuff, well, we're just going to stop doing that. Yeah, basically, then, yeah, we have to stop taking in new stuff as, as a start, and we have... What we did is we set up parameters for where we want everything to fit, so we have to get rid of enough stuff so that it only fits within the parameters that we have now set. That's right. So we have a goal for like the end of the year to accomplish this big transition of taking a bunch of animals out of here, keeping only select things that we want to work with that are manageable, that we can manage on a hobby level, mind you, <laughs> on a hobby level, and then that way... The, you know, the key word, I keep saying this, but the key word is efficiency. We want to make it efficient. If it, if it can't be made efficient, like if it can't be done efficiently, then I don't want to do it anymore. Sure. So if it requires like, you know, someone to be here every night to hand water things and to do that, then that's too much work. Like we need to be able to go away for a week or two without having to like freak out about who's going to come over and take care of the animals. So that's a, that's a big priority here. Nicole, how do you feel about all this? I'm okay with all of this. <laughs> um, you know, there there is other things. Not that I don't love the animals, but there is some other things that I would like to spend some time doing, and I just don't have time to do any of them right like now. Like what? I don't know, like sewing, like some house projects that have been neglected for the last couple of years. Um, I got some sweet gecko-shaped paver molds I'd like to maybe start making some concrete blocks and do a paved area in the carport with. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of continue our DIY house projects that we never truly The idea of becoming of a part-time day trader has been presented to me. <laughs> uh. 
as uh, it was also presented to me. We'll see how that goes. But, uh. So, <sighs> Lou, are you going to actually have any free time on account of this? Well, Do you see in the foreseeable done, future? Yes. <laughs> yes. When it's done, yes. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work to get there, and but it's going to be a good thing because you know it's it's. The, the goal is is to disassociate the animals from our every sing, every every waking moment life, you know. For all, everything in the house will be moved into the workshop, so snakes, everything that's in the house is going to be in this workshop at one point. For so those of you who haven't doing. been into Nicole and Lou's place, which I imagine is most of you, um, there's stuff most everywhere. Their house is theoretically separated into a an a just an outdoorsy concrete facility that you would think you would be able to like cordon off all your messy stuff into but their business is large enough to have encapsulated and just taken hold of quite a bit more of their house yes yes so the idea is to remove everything from the house and put everything into the workshop so that we can reclaim the house again yeah and it's not bad you know you may you, there's a lot of animals in there but it's not like it's a filthy pigsty or anything no. it's you know. it's uh, keeping reptiles is different than having like a lot of mammals it's yes. a little bit of a different no, it, it's uh, being managed yeah. but it's it's clearly cluttering yeah. the living space well, well it's cluttering our lives basically <laughs> like yeah. our, our lives are on hold because there's always animals that need attending to and there's always people you know when you have a business there's always people asking questions there's always you know you have to interact with this person or this dealer or whatever. So there's, it's a constant barrage of attention that sometimes, as an introverted type of person, you just like to say, fuck it, like I don't want to deal with any of these people anymore and just look at geckos. Absolutely. Which, which is now a hobby again. So <laughs> it separates the hobby from a business is selling your shit, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. <sighs> well, I didn't want to... Yeah. Waste uh, too much more of your time since you. We, we're 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 at a standstill right now. So. Yeah, thanks thanks to Power Tools, our projects for the day have come to a grinding halt. It's a good excuse to procrastinate it for you know. No <laughs> oh, I mean, I've got a third mic if you want a mic up. So I'm I'm a sweaty, but if you don't mind, that's fine. <laughs> sure. With me. How long have you guys been doing this for? Seven eight years. The animals. Yeah, yeah. since '09, so seven years. Yeah. That's a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's. In this, ho this hobby eats people up and spits them out. Uh, so no, we're actually we're at the status now where we're we're long timer like old timers at the moment. Like yeah, because you know the hobby, the the industry as it were, has only a couple of layers, but they're very shallow layers. You know, the, the, there's only a few people that are up here at the top, and then there's you know a bunch of small businesses like such as ourselves, mostly out of their homes. Many, ninety-nine percent of them less uh, set up than we are. You know, they're they're more hoarded in their house. For instance, people try to run a gecko business out of their apartments. You know, two-bedroom apartments, and one bedroom is dedicated to their geckos. This whatever. is surprising because these are some people that you think have it together. Like, uh, we've had like multiple occasions where people have stopped by after the reptile shows, and there are other vendors that breed things and probably make more money than we do. And then they come and see our setup, and they're like, "Wow, you guys really haven't made." I wish <laughs> we had something like this. And so, it makes me wonder. You know what I mean? Like, what does their setup look like? <laughs> you know, it's kind of strange. Yeah, I mean, you guys have an organized thing, but it's very much the homegrown yes. attitude through and through. Yes. So, well, in this hobby, there, there's no other attitude, <laughs> really, because. Um, 
Oh, and, yeah, and it's been see. interesting because I've been doing sort of a, a comparison of like the, the marine aquarium hobby that I used to be heavily involved in. I've always tried to compare the two with the reptile hobby because they're really, you know, sort of similar in a lot of ways where you're keeping animals in boxes and you're trying to recreate an environment and all this other stuff. And a lot of crossover between the two. A lot of people who creep who keep dart frogs and reptiles also keep reef aquariums, so there's... Or they did keep reef aquariums and moved over to reptiles or vice versa. So there's a lot of parallels to be made there. Um, and, and the one thing I've realized have, in hindsight now, after being out of that reef aquarium hobby for so long, because we, we let go of that five, six years ago, is that it, nothing has changed. Like, you still have animals you have to take care of and put in a box. What's changed in the marine aquarium hobby is the gadgets. So you can buy gadgets, and the reason why they make gadgets is so you can control water chemistry. It's like there, there's a specific thing that they're trying to accomplish, which is I just need to test pH and test, uh, you know, oxygenation and all this other stuff. In the in the reptile hobby, there's no room for that. There's no gadget that can really tell you that okay, your relative humidity is that you can buy that at Home Depot. Sure. So, so a company like Exoterra or, or whoever, they're going to come up with some $12 hygro hydrometer or hygrometer or whatever. That doesn't work most of the time. But, but still, I mean, it tells you a relative amount of relative humidity. But if it's 60% or 55%, isn't the difference between your animal being dead or alive? Where in the marine aquarium is if your pH is 6.0 or 7.5, there's a big difference there and your fish can die and your corals can die. So sure. it, it, it's... There's no room for gadgets, so now all you're really stuck with are people trying to, like, DIY keeping animals alive in, in cages, you know? So it's, it's kind of strange. There's no actual monetary motivation to improve anything in this hobby because there's no room for, like, a business to come in and say, let's take it to the next level. Well, and the number of people that you guys cater to, I mean, there are zoos that obviously pick up geckos, chameleons, etc., but as far as pets go, the market is relatively small. I mean, it it's is a like, niche market. it's micro-niche. Yeah. Well, micro the geckos niche. that we work in are a niche within a niche. <laughs> you know, reptile keeping is pretty popular, but uh, it stops at a certain level. It, and it's, it caters to a certain type of person. It's, it's strange. It's like a certain crowd that, that kind of goes to it. And then, of course, you have gecko people, snake people, uh, you know, yeah, chameleon people. Yeah, even within people. the reptile thing, the types of things you keep differentiate, too. Like, chameleon people are way different than gecko people, who are way different than snake people. Or like, way they different don't, than frog people. There's not much overlap. <laughs> and, you know, if you can create a display to put in a doctor's office, well, those type of people are going to go after that type of, like, that type of uh, product, as it were. So... There is a little bit of a room for setting up like a dart frog, natural, tropical little slice of the rainforest. Um, so the higher end, like the more expensive crowd, you know, the well-off crowd will gravitate to those things because there's more gadgets now. I can play with misting systems and I can play with different lights to grow different orchids and different... Th there's a little bit more, you know, you can nerd out on more things. In a cage, for instance, like a gecko, it's an oak branch, some leaves, and some dirt. <laughs> you can't geek out on that. It's really simple. So, you know... It, and the geckos don't even care if the branches are real or not, as long as there's something on there. That's right. You yeah. Know, so it, it's... <laughs> Hello, bird. 
Um, Anyone who's a bird expert can identify that by its sound. Yeah, Ryan. let us let us know. <laughs> Ryan, write in and let us know what bird that was. So you know, there's there's been no motivation to to, to actually progress in this hobby, and we've figured that like we've kind of reached the pinnacle that we could reach for this home-based, hobby-based business that you can get in this. Like we're well known. I'm published in multiple you know publications. Um, I have like a half a dozen podcasts talking about this stuff out there over the years. People all over the world contact me for information about these geckos. Zoos get them from us. So at the end of the day, I think we accomplished what we set out to accomplish, which was, you know, kick ass and take names on that particular front. But there's not really anywhere else to go with it. You know, the next step would be setting up a large greenhouse and breeding more of them. But that just <laughs> ends up being more work and it's becoming too much work. Yeah. And I think when you reach that level, you start taking away what was really needed in this hobby, which isn't a mass production of anything. It's that labor of love mentality. Sure. So, because that's what we're missing in a lot of the hobby is people who are just, there's some people who like the ugliest little brown gecko or gnolls or whatever, and they just sit there gaudy over breeding them. That's awesome. We need people like that because the mass public doesn't care about the brown little anole that's running around. They want that weird oreo colored one that's black and white stripes with red dots and that's like oh it's, then it becomes like pokemon where you have to get them all because you have to get the different patterns and they call them morphs and it's so silly you know it becomes silly so we need people who are more passionate about it but um but yeah we've reached a we've reached that that breaking point with it and we've always realized that one day it would happen because it does we've seen so many people come and go in in the, the short seven years that we've done it that um you know, I was surprised that we made it this far ourselves. That was a good run. What's the largest operation that you guys are f familiar with in any way like in this industry? The Bells. They're very big. Um, you know, they, Industries. Yeah, uh, you know, they, they basically produce, like, leopard geckos for PetSmart and stuff. And they have, like, huge compounds, you know, okay. in, in South Florida where you got a golf cart between, you know, like this... This whole warehouse is all breeding like, you know, this type of leopard gecko and they're breeding like bearded dragons in this one. And, you know, they have they have a pretty big operation, but um, that's very few and far between. There's only about a handful of companies that can really make this very, very profitable. And there's just not a whole lot of room otherwise. Yeah, I mean, that was the that was. That's the thing that always strikes me when uh, I've only been to two of the uh, the reptile cons yes. that you guys have around the place. And for one thing, you have to have conventions to go sell stuff at. Like the people yeah. don't just have stores for this. No mm -hmm. one is that big. It doesn't the, seem. There's in South Florida. There's two or three stores that are entirely reptile based. Uh, out here in Orlando. We have Pet Bazaar, which is basically just a weird pet store that's been around since the 50s, probably. Um, but that's about it. That's like four stores well, for the whole state. See, there's stores. So the way that the traditional model works is you open a store, and then you go and contact suppliers and get animals in from those suppliers. Yeah. If you're a breeder, you don't own a store. Well, yeah, but it's not even possible to get enough breeders together. Well, there is. Like, you have... You know, this regionally, you'll have like a lot of particular type of gecko or braid in bred in this area for some reason. So they start selling them locally to the stores. We can sell some stuff to the local store. You know what I mean? If we have something interesting and they want to offer it, that's cool. But primarily, the way it works is they get a catalog from the Bells, 
from reptile industries. And now this reptile industry's place, like she was saying, has a, a shed for each type of animal. And, and they, they say, keep the I basic want, stuff that's easy to keep. Yeah, I want 10 corn snakes. I want five turtles. I want this many chameleons, this many geckos. And then they ship them on. You get a box every week, and then you just sell it like you would any other store, you know? So there's this weird... This is why I say it needs to stay as a hobby thing, because the store model isn't working anymore. Because you go into the store, it's the same bullshit that you find everywhere else. Sorry, I was getting attacked by ants. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out where the hell they were coming from. Uh, outdoor podcast. The ground. Anyway, so, um, yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, that's how it works with the stores. The breeders, the way they work is they rely on Facebook and classifieds to sell them to each other. Yeah, so before social media, which is how we do 99% of our business, um, they just you just had, like, classified ads, basically, and that's how people like us would sell our yeah. animals. And if you were one of the dealers or, supplying... Or at little cons. Yeah. If you were one of the dealers supplying the 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 pet stores what you would do is put an ad out saying hey are you breeding leopard geckos i want them all because i need them to sell to the 15 pet stores that are my accounts you know what i mean so they go to the breeders but you know it's a very shaky supply chain oh it's all cottage industry oh, i mean absolutely. that's that's, that's kind of what i was getting at is that yeah. it's just i mean nicole you described it as a micro niche but yeah i mean it's it is definitely, it seems like a hobby-grade activity from a lot of angles. Which is why we are scaling it back to where it should be <laughs> at a hobby level. Because now that we're not going to be doing these geckos, everyone's asking, oh my god, where are we going to get these geckos? And I mean, it's a funny question because they weren't buying them before we said <laughs> we were going to leave. But Yeah, people really like having us around. They don't like buying animals from us. Because we charge what we, we deserve. And, yeah, we... You know. It happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there's, if you're an importer, you get them in, and I buy them from an importer. Well, if he chose just to sell them to the public, it would be maybe $20, $30, $50 more than I would pay, right? Because he gives me a, a group deal or whatever. But it's probably 100 bucks cheaper than I would sell them for. Because he's, I got ants everywhere, because he didn't take the time to acclimate them. He didn't take the time to treat them for parasites, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we did... And, uh, As the responsible horticulturalists. What's in a name? That's right. <laughs> well, I honestly don't think you know. You can do your best, but you're never gonna you're never gonna be profitable if you're truly responsible. Like we did our best to live up to our name, which is why we gave ourselves that name. And you know, we paid it paid for itself. That's about it. Yeah. You know, we didn't we didn't walk away with ten grand in our pocket at the end of the day. Not at all. <laughs> well, the thing is, we've and we've maxed it out. Like, there's no more space to expand. Like, without really taking a big step and like putting like another shed on the property or something. So we or finding outside help. Exactly. Which, as in every business, is a nightmare. Yeah, it's expensive. It, yeah, <laughs> it's. Expensive. I mean, we can't even find yeah. someone to pet sit for us. Technical difficulties. Uh oh. Oh no, that's act that's how it goes. Okay, just this, making sure. The way that's split is it's got a TRRS as opposed to a TRS connector, so I had to buy a separate adapter. Adapters. It's AV equipment is like it's it's mostly digital now, but it's not quite digital, <laughs> so it's still all just a nightmare. Pokey. Yeah. Uh, but no, everything's still good. So how are your non-money-making uh, projects going these days? 
Oh, I've got more of them now than ever. Nice. Thankfully, nice. I added a money-making scheme to the non-money-making schemes. So though I am overworked, I am at least able to fund those schemes. <laughs> also, I found a... Um, I had my moratorium on suffering resolution okay. for uh, my birthday. As uh, machinists may know, I, uh, I set my uh, birthday resolution, because I don't do New Year's resolutions... Uh, was to not suffer, which is a very generic and virtually impossible objective. Yeah, didn't suffer the in the yeah, Buddhist? Did, didn't no, exactly. Buddhist say life is suffering? Well, no, see, that's the thing. It's just It just depends on the way that you frame the word. But it was the word that seemed to fit what I meant. And it, I apparently was onto something. I need to look back to see how far it went. But I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast, and he had Tony Robbins on. I've been hearing a lot. Tony Robbins has been coming up on a lot of my podcasts. The infamous too. motivational speaker. Yes. Um, and at the end of that podcast, he had a thing where he basically said um, that you can either suffer or not suffer, and life's too short to suffer. Yeah, so, it, it's like all a frame of mind. So I apparently. Um, it only took me 27 years. It apparently he came up with this like last year. So I'm apparently <laughs> way ahead of the curve on this. I gotta figure that's, out. That's that's the the whole basis of Buddhism. I, I gotta <laughs> I gotta figure out how to sue Tony. Anyway, there's um so so that's going okay. So you're suffering less. What? Well, the, it is it is totally. I guess it's not totally a frame of mind thing because the th and this is one of the one of the things that motivational speakers constantly get caught up on because. You have to attempt to be relentlessly positive. Yeah, is it like a law of attraction sort of positive? Like you just wake up and tell yourself you're amazing and that you're going to be rich one day? No, see, that's that's the thing. Is that kind of motivational speaking works for about f five minutes after you leave? Like, because then you go, oh right, reality is not in any way like this whatsoever, and you forget all of it. And <laughs> that's why that's why most motivational speakers manage to have repeat customers. Because theoretically, if they were good at their jobs. You should only need to go one time, because you should like internalize the lesson, and from there it should be a self perpetual. You should become people just aren't that self aware. A positivity that's machine, and that's the problem. <laughs> they don't realize it. They need the epiphany moment. Is what I call it. Oh yeah, well, but the, and it's sometimes repeatedly. Yeah, and you can. There are people that get that from motivational speakers, but there are only specific kinds of motivational speakers, and the buy-in you need to have for that to work is something I have certainly never had. Like, I know, I read what I guess qualify as self-help books all the time. Like, I read a lot of stuff about people's, like, attempts to optimize themselves. Yeah. But I do that because I like process. Like, I, I enjoy that because I like reading about the ways in which people tackle problems. Like, yes. that's, that's what I enjoy. Um, and... I don't know specifically where I was going with that in relation to the Tony Robbins thing. I guess it was just to defend the fact that I read self-help books occasionally. Well, just about the, the constant affirmation, how it doesn't really last that long. Yeah. And how people don't really... And you, you just got to renew that shit on a super regular basis. Like, that's I, why, you, that's I do why it, they tell you to wake up and like say that to yourself in the morning, every morning. You know, like, Yeah, but you get bored of that after a week. Well, yeah, you and I do. But normal people... Yeah, but I'm, I'm the one I'm worried about, so I have to do it with me. I get it, trust me. No, it's the, the magic of attempting to schedule things and attempting to get up. Like, I know from personal experience that every time I get up 
early in the morning, I don't regret it because it gives me more time during the day. That's I right. feel better by the time I go to bed. I sleep better. Everything about the morning is better than waking up around 11. And yet, I can't manage to... Like, I can even... I you can can't have consistently those wake up. Yeah. yeah, I can even have those thoughts in the morning. That's not sufficient to get me out of bed in the morning. I have to be in this permanent circuit of just, like, slight variations on things. And those variations, that novelty, that is just enough <laughs> to make it all work. So, um, that's uh, the other... The way that I was going to attempt to segue this and was going to fail to do so because I'm missing a step in the middle. Um, the people around this not table have all very recently got into a handful of nootropics from the sound of it. Yes. Um, of Indeed. the Onnit variety. Yes. Well, you know, Doing all that pod all that podcast advertising, it finally broke us down. We're like, okay, we'll try this stuff. Yeah. Well, it took three years of Joe Rogan convincing me to take Alpha Brain. Yeah, no, I... That was Jocko finally compelled me to do that. And I'll that. be honest, out of all the ones we tried, so I tried their gut health, the the shroom tech, the the new mood, which is their nighttime one. Um, I'm having some mixed results on the new mood, but I'm not giving up on it yet. But <laughs> it, I'm having some weird results. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, especially those those mood enhancing herbal, like St. John's wort and, and and other ones like that. They're, they're goofy. You have to be careful with them because they're, they're sort of like, they do affect you whether you realize it or not. And then when you stop taking them, they can make an effect on you and whether you realize it or not. Okay. So, so, so you were talking about how you like waking up early. I, too, like waking up early theoretically. I don't <laughs> like doing it in actuality too much. It doesn't happen too much. been really good about waking up very early this week, and I've been taking the new mood. Here's the thing. I, um... I will wake up like really early and I will still have all of my usual morning anxiety, but I won't be in as bad a mood about it. Like, so it's kind of like how the keto diet, like I had more mental, like my, my uh, mental acuteness was better, but it was just making me more aware of my anxieties. The new mood is waking, is like doing the same thing. Like I'm sleeping okay and I wake up early and I'm able to get going okay, but I'm like, more acutely aware of my anxieties, but slightly more okay with them, even though they're all still there. It's it's very weird. And I'm remembering dreams more, which is never good because my dreams are always anxiety-ridden as well. Yeah, I don't take... So that's that's a negative. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't take... I take the mood in the morning okay. to avoid that. Because, yeah, I'm not a fan of my dreams either. Well, I was always worried that the new mood would make me drowsier during the day because they recommended it at night so I figured oh maybe it's something that would put me asleep during the day or doesn't something. seem to okay seems to be I okay I take the alpha brain in the morning and then if I need a little kick in the afternoon I'll take one more I'm not like Joe Rogan I don't take like 15 of them it's well, like one according or two. to the bottle you're supposed to take at least two yeah I take six. one or two I take one because they cost a dollar a pill yes. yeah uh, they're kind of ex like they're not actual medicine they're not like proprietary medicine expensive but they're at least generic medicine expensive yeah. yes um and i find that like almost everything i've taken for any purpose that um i'm just a big fan of the placebo effect okay i get about four days of, of pump out of whatever <laughs> i take and then the only supplement that i think i've taken that i just 
I would reliably recommend to people who haven't tried it before is probably vitamin D. Okay. Um, and maybe the the other edge case would maybe be some combination of like omega three oil and coconut oil. Like that works okay. We do lots of coconut oil. Yeah. But, for sure. But vitamin D is the only one that I like immediately can tell whether or not like A B test on. Okay. Opposing days, I can tell which days I take it and which days I don't. Okay. So I yeah. haven't I haven't messed with the Alpha Brain too much yet. Lou has been it's been good. Been I mean, pretty good. It, it, I've noticed um, it's quicker for me to wake up in the morning. Usually, it takes me about forty five minutes to an hour to actually get mentally going. I'll be awake. I'll be able to do things. I can drive around and shit. But I just don't want to fucking talk about anything. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I'm just. I, it's kind of like that whole like wait until I have my coffee type of thing. But the coffee really doesn't wake it up, wake me up mentally either. It just sort of wakes my body up. So the, the, the alpha brain, I noticed, cut that down in half. Where it's like if I take one or two in the morning with my coffee and my breakfast, it's like, okay, so now my mental clarity is coming up about a half hour sooner than it was before, and I'm able That's to... That's significant. Yeah, it, That's... It, it, it's pretty good, you know? And yeah, mine hasn't been nearly that bad. I would define... But you said you're only taking one. I'm only taking one. I okay. took two for the first two days just because that's what it says on the okay. bottle. But the thing, I would I would say it is like the definition of an edge. Like it is very much, I only feel it like at very specific peripheral moments when okay. I'm when I'm like being super focused. Like, And the problem is I, I find it very hard since I'm still referring in the back of my mind to the fact that I'm on this stuff now. I feel like the simple fact that I'm reminding myself that I took them is affecting my appraisal of what I'm doing. Okay, okay. Um, and that's why sort I'm... Sort of reminding you that, oh, I'm supposed to oh, feel right, like this. Oh, right, yeah, I'm this supposed is, to feel is, better you, right you now. You need to, like, set up your own double-blind placebos. Like, you need to get one, like, two identical box pills, and then you don't know which one is just sawdust and which one's the alpha brain, and I do, have, like, a controlled study on yourself. I have a much less expensive thing I'm going to try next month. Um, if I can figure out how to manufacture it, I'm going to make a bottle full of different colored pills that are all sugar pills. Okay. And even though they're sugar pills, the fact that they are all different should still trigger the placebo effect. Because even when you know that you are get, they've done like tests on the placebo effect, which creating a control group for that is a little daunting. But, uh, <laughs> but you, um, there are different levels for those of you who aren't aware of the, uh, aware of the science of the placebo effect. Basically, when you do something to your body that is novel, you expect something to change. Even if you know that what you're doing isn't supposed to be effective, the fact that it is different is enough to get your body to respond to it. And they have found well, the fact that, that you're aware of it. Yeah, and e that you think about it. Yeah. Um, and they have found that in order, caplets, like the little uh, the little round pills, are the least effective for the placebo effect. Lozenges are more effective. Okay. Red lozenges are even better. And of course, as one would expect, like injections of Anything make you feel better have tremendous hormonal impact. Um, uh, so you're uh, just gonna like start syringing yourself with some saline in the morning. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I've, I'm not that like, far. Yeah, yeah, pumped. Yeah, <laughs> are you stoked? Yeah, I'm injecting myself with stoked. <laughs> Stand up on my scaffold in the morning and scream. Yes, while injecting myself with water <laughs> with, with placebo. <laughs> 
I don't no. know. I mean, I take it all with a grain of salt. I know it's expensive. I know it, it, a lot of people think it's snake oil, bro science. I, all of that. I don't think it's snake oil. I, don't I just think so either. I, I just think its effects are not they're, they're not like monumental effects. They're not going to fix your life. No. Yeah. <laughs> you no. need to do other things in addition to that. But you know, like with the alpha brain for instance, the way I know it makes me feel, I see why Joe Rogan pushes it the way he does. You know what I mean? Sure. Based on my experience with it in the last couple of weeks. I I I have no question about Joe Rogan's like sincerity when he says that it really wakes him up, it does everything it says it does, blah, blah, blah. And, and he, he's quoted as saying he'll pop like five or six of them before he goes and does a UFC event so that he can be all excited for the UFC <laughs> event. And because at the end of the day, it's really kind of like, if you eat that many of them, I can see it being like a couple of caffeine pills. Yeah. Where, you know, I know if I have a little bit too much caffeine, I'm like, woohoo, let's go. Like, you know, imagine if you're the commentator of a UFC event. Like... Well, and the, but that's the thing is it's just at some point, and this this is, I assume, what plays into the fact that it dips off after four days. It's it's a matter of homeostasis. Your body gets used to getting it, yeah. regardless of what that's it is. That's the problem with everything. And that's yeah, and yeah. That's, I assume that's what I run into after about four days. And that homeostasis doesn't just apply to like nutrition. In my case, it applies to projects and muses and ev- like everything in my I get four yeah. good days with everything that I do. It's part of your ADD, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe. I think it's just part of the way that I process info. I get about I get 72 plus hours and then it uh, it dips off pretty rapidly. And I've I've not been able to combat that. I've been trying for so your years. Your interest in that will dip off after 4 days or your it motivation for it. Yeah, or? it doesn't matter. My brain will transition to something else. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, I can't maintain peak for okay. more than three can't or four days. Can't maintain flow state for more than no. Okay. No, I gotta. I gotta switch. Okay. I gotta do different things. But that's uh, that is just a know yourself thing for me at this point. I I can't fight that. I've tried for <laughs> so long, and it's it's something that I've just attempted to absorb. Well, there's something to say about the need do something rather than the desire to do it like um you know we, we bring things a lot of back to the you know the fight world because that's where we're like our second hobby you know our, our actual enjoyment hobby comes yeah. from where it's not work right <laughs> yeah but uh, you know and then the fight world Escapism they'll say hobby yeah the, the fight world they'll say that you know the, the hungrier fighter is the one who's had nothing he's grew up, grown up rough he, didn't, he, he has to face adversity, deal with sleeping in his car, living in his car for a year, whatever it took for him to reach this point, he or, him or her. And, um, and, and, the, and the one who hasn't had to face all of that adversity uh, isn't going to be quite as hungry and strong and angry in that cage because to them it doesn't matter. You know, if I'm a rich kid who I can do whatever the fuck I want, so I can just go train MMA at starting at the age of 12. Daddy pays for it, and I can go train with uh, BJ Penn's pe- uh, gym, who's you know, phenomenal, and blah, 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 blah. I get the best training in the world, and I'm still a great fighter, maybe a number one contender, make it up there, because I've had every opportunity for me to be a great fighter. Yeah. You know, you are. But then there's those people who just come from absolutely nothing, and they make it just as far as that guy, but he has everything to lose. You know, he's the one that has two kids and a wife, and they're still making thirty grand a year on these fights because he still has to pay for doctor's bills and training and all yeah. that. But this kid's rich; doesn't give a shit if he wins or loses. You know, so he's not quite as hungry. And that happens. You'll see it a lot, and, and and I think it happens in our life too, where if it's not an absolute necessity, 
your brain is okay with letting it go after four days, for instance. You know, when we were living, when we moved into this house and we needed to renovate it, it was like a full year of nonstop every day, wake up in the morning until we went to bed with work in between, dealing with rebuilding this house. And it was like a, a constant flow state for an entire year. And then, you know, I now, didn't even want to think about housing projects for about three years after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an intense year. We may take some up next year, though, because, you know, there, yes. are, there are some that would... But, like I, putting in a sweet but, generator. But now, now we don't have the need. Like, there is not, there isn't, we have a kitchen. Yeah. We have a functioning bathroom. We have, like, a, a perfectly functioning home. You know, yeah, there's a couple of things we can touch up and redo and blah, blah, blah. But it's not a necessity. So we just don't get around to it anymore. You know what I'm saying? Well, in the case of, I mean, <laughs> renovating a house, I, that's, that's a little higher level than my brain is interpreting motivation. <laughs> like, there are projects within that I would totally oh, be able to do... But if any one of those like activities took more than three or four days, I would have a hard time accomplishing. A lot of it took us six months to build that kitchen. It took us six months to build that kitchen. To have to sit there and look at bare walls, and then only a month have one wall done or this piece of the soffit done because it took some intricate drywall work to get there. You yeah. know, like you really have to kind of have this stick with it for six fucking months. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And that's one project. You can cut it up into sub-projects all you want. It's still... Well, and that's what I have to do. I yeah. have to be able to conceptualize it that way. But that just ain't something I've had to deal with yet, so... So how are your house projects coming? What? I don't know. My house has reached... I, I, hit, the, uh, I hit the magical equilibrium point that everybody talks about. Where, where you just don't I, care anymore? I, I forget. And I think everybody's number on it changes, whether it's 6, 12, or 18 months. But you, there's... You hit one of those checkpoints, and then what your house is like at that point, is okay as long as you it. maintain it, it's totally fine. Yeah. Like, it doesn't bother well, that's, you anymore. Yeah, we hit that at about uh, 12 months, but the thing is, I made the mistake of turning on some DIY television recently, uh -oh. and I'm ready to yeah, tear up a like, bunch of stuff again. That's like again. someone holding you down and sticking that needle in your arm again, yeah. and you're like, yeah. oh, shit. No, I, let's an do hour this. of DIY TV, I, I have... I want to like tear up the whole thing. I want an outdoor kitchen. I got like a paper. I, I'm like ready to do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, my problem with that is that I I fully expect to only be live. That, that's a halfway house for me. Like okay. I don't expect to live in the house for more than five total years. So doing like massive renovation projects just doesn't make sense to me. So I've Are mostly you planning just on been moving into a different home. Um, I at the moment my. Uh, this, this actually came out of my... I don't know if I ever talked about it on the podcast when I... Uh, so I'll keep it brief in case I did. I, I attempted to do a mental exercise about like planning out eight years in advance. I saw the flow chart on Yeah, just, just to attempt to like... Okay, I will be 35 years old on June of 2023, I want to say. It's either 23 or 24. And I made monthly boxes for all of the months from then to now, which was about 90, somewhere in the 90s. And I said, okay, can I come up with one concrete thing that I would want to have done that I would remember I had done in eight years? This is a mental exercise in long-term thinking that is... Um, incredibly hard to do like it, for one thing I ran out of like things that I ran out of bucket list items by 2018 okay 
Um, so, like, and this is, of course, assuming I, I wasn't like trying to pl place, like, okay, I'm probably gonna get this promotion here and I'm gonna achieve this thing here. Like, I was just putting month, 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 month. I was just yeah. filling this with a list of things that I would like to have done that seemed like they would have long term compact. And the fact of the matter is that almost nothing I had on that chart is something I would actually, like, independently care about when I'm 35. Because that's so far in the future right now that I can't act, that, that nothing I'm doing is going to directly, specifically impact who I am in eight years. It's all going to be foundational. It's all going to yeah. matter because it's going to shape the way that my life goes from there. But what I learned from it is that I can't meaningfully plan more than 18 months in advance. <laughs> um... N not in any, like, concrete way. Yeah. But I can get to about three years of just seeing out, into, and after about three years, uh, society, technology, and everything conspire to make it essentially impossible to see yeah, any farther no in the Yeah, you have no idea what the status like, of anything will no be at that point. You don't feel like, either. Yeah. You know, your perspective can change, too. And that's one thing, like, it gets easier the older you get. You know, oh, I imagine. Pushing 40... It's easier to imagine what you'd want to be doing in five or ten years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, that time also becomes more condensed too. Yes. Yeah. That like window is starting get. to shrink. Yeah. So, the, or your the, perception of it, it seems like a smaller. Well, you at least have something to look back at. Like, yeah. if I look back, and that's the other, that's the the exercise I should probably do next, just to cap it off, is to look back eight years and see if I can remember what I did. In each of those and we months. know how good you are at remembering yeah, that anything. Would, I think that would be a fun exercise. Because the problem is, if I look back eight, I mean, eight years ago, what would that be, 2009? 18-ish? Eight. So, my eight freshman ago, year yeah. of college, like, yeah, no. Like, <laughs> I was not even remotely who I am now, then. We started right. a reptile business. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny, because, you know, it's one of the things I've always... The way I handle change in life is I, I try to embrace it as much as possible. That's probably healthy. Of course. But, and what helps to embrace it is looking back on how much change you've already been through. And you can, you know, look back on that and say, oh, well, whatever. You know, what, what, <laughs> what's coming next? Okay, let's do it. You know what yep. I mean? Because I've already have this history. And even looking back in the 10 years Nicole and I have been together, it's 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 so different from the day we met to where we oh, are yeah. today. Not because of obviously a relationship grows and that we're no, but it's just one of those like, you know, we were partying, we were at the bar every weekend, we were. It was a totally different lifestyle. We were it, like rock stars without a band, which is much easier because a band. I would is just a sit in. Yeah, you don't need roadies. Yeah, I was such a rock star. I would just sit in on bands. I'd be at the bar and I'd be like, "Yeah, I got my guitar. Let me just jump up there." And yeah, be like, just okay. Blue would just jump on stage and plug into an amp and just rock out. And and everyone was having a good. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. But then you know, you're, you you get 28, 29 years old, and you're like, "Okay, I'm over that. What's next?" And then, you know, I did the professional thing for a while where I just focused on work for a few years. And then we did this reptile business for, you know, the last six or seven years. So it's, it's one of those, like, how much we've changed over that time is amazing. Yeah. And, and it's not a 
long amount of time, all things considered. No, and that's that's the other, I, I think eight is a nice, comfortable middle ground for the amount of time that you can try to look into the horizon. Mm -hmm. Because even though eight years is a, it's a long enough time in the future that you can't like reasonably fathom what you'll be doing in any concrete way in eight years, you get a lot of eight years. Like yeah. you get a bunch of those in your life. Yes. So it's not like that's, I'm not like looking at what I'm gonna be when I retire. Yeah. I'm gonna, like, I will be 35, and then I'll be able to do that exercise again and again before I hit the uh, the 1960s version of yeah. retirement at 55. But who knows what retirement's gonna look like in the future? 89, and the, um, yeah. no, it's, uh, I recommend that exercise. It is a little existential, but you get over that well, I do, I, quickly. I, I, I do it all the time in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I do, you know, and, and the, the... It's more fun on a whiteboard. Of course. The, the farther you go into the future, the more vague and generic your expectations have to become. Oh, that's that was the best. Uh, I got to 2020. I only got four years before I had to stop this exercise because I at, at 2020. I, I think I've li I, I feel like I mentioned this on the podcast before, but it was um. I just went to the the most abstract, vague platitudes for what I was writing in the box. I was literally writing things, and I, I tried to mix it up and just assume, because of course you should, that I would have two major setbacks a year, so like two months got to be things like death in the family, and accident, yeah. and uh, like the, the random th things. Things that happen to, randomly, but yeah, you never know when. You have to expect that those yeah. things are going to happen. Um, but in 2020, I had things like revelation, and betrayal. I was literally just writing these generic words in the boxes. <laughs> like, I mean, this is probably going to happen. Maybe not that year, but, this, but whatever. But yeah. This is of what no form? value whatsoever anymore. No, it was, uh. it was a fun exercise. But uh, the, the reason I brought all that up was uh, the reason I think I'm going to move out of that house uh, after five years is that based on the way that I am budgeting, if I can, like, maintain my current level of employment at that point I should be ready to make another major like change in the way that I'm living and I will probably have some idea of what that's going to look like by then so good. and it gives me a good budgetary target like it's nice to have because most of the time in order to like save money I have to abstract the shit out of my cat like I I don't like look at my take-home pay like I look at my gross income and taxes and then I have a siphon and then I have a buffer and then I have like because that's the only way to make sure that I'm not like accidentally overspending is, okay. to, is to implement all these hedges but now I have like a firm date and number I want to hit and that really helps because I can't actually lie to myself that's about like that. Yeah, now you can plug man. it into your equation. Yeah, and yeah. it's <laughs> like I know whether or not I'm succeeding now. That's right. Uh, which is that's helpful. Absolutely. It's just that little bit of time. Uh -oh. Are you thinking uh -oh. bigger, smaller? On the house? Um, that's that's the thing. I don't even know if it would be a house. It's okay. just it's it's a it's something. a brick of capital that I want to have if I find something to do with it. Understood. Like it could be a house, it could be a business, it could be it something. could it could be a bunch of things. It could but be I, a yacht to travel the world. I, I want to yeah. have it because at the moment I don't have anything that needs the money that I could theoretically spend. Like I could take the cap off this and just blow this nest egg and. But I don't need to do that. So anything I can do to compel myself not to do that until I actually figure out what to do with the money seems yeah. like the way to go. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. is. You should always, you should never be itching to spend. 
Yeah. You should be itching to Which is find really hard. something. You know? Oh, yeah, no, no, this is why, again, this is what the buffer and the cipher, this is yeah. what all that stuff's yeah. in place for. Absolutely. It's because mission, mission creep is real. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so oh, is yeah. retail therapy. <laughs> yeah. Especially not... Amazon Prime has same-day shipping now. Uh, none and of the stuff I bought last night was same-day shipping. Hey, man, next-day shipping is plenty I know, for me. I know, I oh, know. I'm no, surprised no, no. that it still shows up the next day sometimes. Like, I ordered that book, and it came in today. I'm like, oh, I forgot I even fucking ordered that two days ago. <laughs> See how busy I am. I forgot I even ordered that thing. Oh, okay. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. No, the same day is insane, though, because it's not even... You don't even have to order it, like, Six in the morning. You can order it at about two p.m. Yeah, and it'll show up by eight, which yep. is faster than I would get it from the store most days. Well, you'd have to go to the. We store. We taken advantage of it in Seattle when we were there. I was yeah. like, Oh, I need a new pair of shoes. Oh, it's like literally same hour delivery. It's amazing. You can order coffee in the morning, and they bring it to you within the hour. <laughs> like coffee and breakfast. It's ridiculous. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. That's good. All right. Well, now it looks like the rains are going to push us out of, of our field. hobby mode. So now it is recluse mode time. Back in the house. Good stuff. Well, Nicole, we will catch up with you on Fritz Lang's M relatively soon. Yes, we've got uh, some more black and white filmage yeah, to review. And, and we're also going to have the the sewing kickoff. We don't know when. You, don't, you specifically don't know of the four people we'll have on this panel. You're... You're the most up in the air about what and when you're going to be able to commit to this. Yes, yes. I, I, sewing is one of the activities that I would like to do again, but in order to do that, I have to scale back the animals. So there's there's some things that need to take place before I can take up new hobbies that require a lot of spreading out and needles all over the place. But it is it is a, a, a line item on the agenda for you know and and a push. One of the reasons why we're doing this is so that we can make room so that we can have that type of luxury in our life. To of take, course. To take on other hobbies like that. Again. Yeah, like yeah. Lou would like to woodwork on occasion. Yes, I would. <laughs> That'd be nice. I'd like to make things enjoyable again where it's not work. So, you know. I can get behind that. Oh, now the breeze is coming in. Uh -oh. Got any exciting UFC fights coming up? Some Conor tussles? McGregor versus Nate Diaz 2. Next weekend. Yep, seven up. days. August the 20th, it is the biggest fight of the year. It's the rematch between the two uh, best shit talkers in the business. They've been shit talking each other. Actually, it's really hard for Conor McGregor to shit talk Nate Diaz now because Nate Diaz kicked his ass last time. It happens. So now Conor McGregor is trying to keep his name in the uh, the media by shit talking all the WWE wrestlers who have nothing to do with UFC, <laughs> but they're just much more popular. They have a bigger fan base, yeah. so he's fucking with them so that their fan base hate him, and you know. Love him or hate him, people still tune in to watch him watch him fight. So, so hopefully Nate Diaz will uh, do defeat him do. again. Yes. And then we can all move on with our lives. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Lou, Nicole, thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Thank you. It's always fun. Good morning, everyone.